0: Welcome to Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation to the fan. I'm Dave James. In a moment, I'll talk with somebody from the Huntington's Disease Society of Central Ohio. They have a fundraising event coming up next month. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, Tracy Townsend provides an update on efforts to repeal House Bill 6 at the Ohio State House. She'll have comments from local doctors about a coronavirus vaccine, Mayor Andrew Genther talking about violence in Columbus, and a segment about local barbers encouraging voter registration. In the second half hour, I'll talk to somebody from the Trust for America's Health about the ever-rising obesity rate in the U.S. A urologist will discuss prostate cancer, and U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown, who served two terms as Ohio's Secretary of State, has some advice about voting in the upcoming election. First up on Columbus Perspective, joining me on the phone, Paula Lentz, who is the lead director for the Central Ohio chapter of the Huntington's Disease Society of America's virtual Team Hope Walk and Run, which is coming up on Saturday, October 10th. How are you?
1: I'm good. Thank
0: you. Thanks for talking to us. Uh, This uh, event has a history behind it. It's been going on a while.
2: Yes, this is our ninth year of my family raising awareness for Huntington's disease through this event.
0: And I'm assuming that the pandemic has changed this like it has everything else. What traditionally happens and what are you doing this time?
2: Yeah, so typically we hold the event at one of our Columbus Metro State Parks. And um, we have people who walk and run uh, approximately three miles um, to raise money and awareness for Huntington's disease. And then, of course, with COVID this year and social distancing, not feasible to have you know a hundred plus people at an event so we're doing it as a virtual event
3: this year
0: okay and uh, this is on October 10th how is the virtual event going to work what are you doing
2: so we will be um, filming going Facebook live um, to show uh, our family walking the event and anyone that feels comfortable enough walking with us at that time and then As other people are walking, um, they can also go um, virtual uh, on Facebook or take photos and add them to our Facebook page so that we can all basically be connected and share our experience
0: together. Okay, and where can folks uh, go online to find out more about this? They can go to our Facebook page, which is our Central Ohio
2: Team Hope page, and we also have... um, uh, registration on uh, www.hdsa.org/thwcentralohio. And this is where they can register for free and find out more information about our walk.
0: Okay, talking with Paula Lentz from the Central Ohio chapter of the Huntington's Disease Society of America. Tell us about Huntington's disease. What is it?
3: It is a
2: neurodegenerative disease. It's similar to having ALS, Alzheimer's, and MS. There is no cure, and no one survives this disease currently. So, any child of a parent with Huntington's disease also has a 50/50 chance of inheriting this disease. Um, and unfortunately, my my only grandchild's mother have Huntington's disease. This is why we organize and raise money.
0: And this is something uh, I was uh, reading into it a little bit. It's something where it's, it's because it's genetic. I guess there is a test that people can take to to find out whether they may get it, right?
2: Yes, there is a test. And of some people determine that they want to know and some people determine they do not want to know whether or not they have it. Most people typically, if they test positive for Huntington's disease, start to show symptoms in their mid 30s to 40s,
0: and it slowly deteriorates, don't live into their 50s. And I guess it kind of starts with uh, sort of a lack of muscular control?
2: Yes, um, like some facial twitching or some, they call it chorea, which is basically like dancing where you can't control your your, your
0: nerves and your muscles very sad to watch and as you said it progresses to the point to where you you can't walk and it also affects your your mind
2: yes it does and um, usually at the end people can't talk at all and they're confined to um to beds and a lot of them have to be restrained in beds because of the chorea, the where they're basically twitching and dancing
0: The Huntington's Disease Society of America, uh, what sort of an organization is it? I'm not sure how many chapters there are in the United States. And it's also, um,
2: we have ours here, but there's also in other countries, they also have their own organizations for Huntington's Disease. But what they do with the funds that are raised from all the different events is um, for the different centers of excellence where Um, patients can go and do some of the clinical trials or just go see the doctors there to um, get different medicines that can kind of control things as they're happening. It doesn't slow down the progression, but um, it it does alleviate some of the different things that are going
0: on. And it is such a difficult disease. And and I guess, you know, in the earlier stages of it as well, when the person who has it is aware of what's going to happen down the line, that reality changes in their mind as their mind changes. It's really kind of an odd situation, I would think. Yes, indeed. Um, the suicide rate
2: for um, younger people who find out I they have Huntington's disease is extremely high, if you can imagine, knowing what your future will be. And also, it, it changes your behavior. Um, I know my granddaughter's mother, her sparks some anger issues, uh, not violent anger issues, but just anger issues. So that's one thing that sometimes can happen to
0: some of these patients when their mind starts to go in the beginning. Do they have any idea what causes it? Yes, they do. Um, there is a gene,
2: and it's actually the Huntington's the Huntington gene, and every single human being has the Huntington. Gene, however, in a, a Huntington's disease, that gene replicates more so than for us without Huntington's disease. So that's what causes it. It's just the multiplying of that gene. It's basically called a CAG.
0: How many times it repeats in a uh, an individual. And do they have any idea, uh, researchers, whether that is uh, sparked through uh, some sort of an environmental cause or uh, where it originally came from?
2: No, it's just genetics. Huh. It's the uh, lot of the short straw, I guess.
0: Yeah. Talking with Paula Lentz again, she's with the Huntington's Disease Society of uh, Central Ohio. Paula, we'll uh, tell folks again how they can get involved, but for those who do get involved, you've got some incentives as well, right?
2: So the registration is free, and um, you can go to www.hcsa.org slash Ohio. That's where you can register for our event. And like I said, it's free, but the amount of money you raise, um, we have several different prizes. Uh, we're raising just $100. We have our Team Hope t-shirts. But we also have um, uh, different brandanas, we call them, for $125 plus. We've got some water bottles, some more money you raise, also some portable cooler tote bags, and um, stadium blankets. So there's some really nice prices just for raising uh, money for HDSA on our Central Ohio event.
0: That's excellent. And again, it's coming up on Saturday, October 10th, the Central Ohio Virtual Team Hope Walk and Run for the Huntington's Disease Society. I see on the news release that there's about 100 cities across the U.S. that have a walk like this, so it is a a pretty significant event for efforts to stop this.
2: Yes, it is. Um, We have hundreds of walks all across the United States all year long. This is our Biggest fundraiser for um, Huntington's disease. Our team Hope walks and runs.
0: Well, Paula, I sure hope it goes well. Is there anything else you'd like to add?
2: No, I just really appreciate the time and anybody that doesn't understand what Huntington's disease is, please go to HDFA.org and, and see how this disease impacts other people and what you can do to help find a cure.
0: Okay, Paula Lentz again with us. Uh, Thanks so much for your time and good luck with the event. Thank you.
4: Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.
6: What if being in recovery from a mental or substance use disorder was something we proudly showed the world? You might be surprised. Millions of people are in recovery, sharing hope, help, and support with family, friends, and community. Join the voices for recovery. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral for mental and substance use disorders for you or someone you know, call 1-800-662-HELP. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.
7: Wherever you call home, the sounds of wildlife connect you with a greater family of life. I'm Ed Begley Jr., and when you see habitat being destroyed, you know that wild animals are losing their homes, the greatest threat to their survival. The Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust offers a humane solution, helping private landowners to protect habitat as permanent safe havens for wildlife. Your voice can speak for wildlife and their homes. Visit the Humane Society Wildlife Land Trust at wildlifelandtrust.org.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10-TV, here's Tracy Townsend from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10-TV. Here's Tracy.
6: Ohio almost had a permanent replacement for Dr. Amy Acton. by Governor Mike DeWine's choice for the top doc position quickly took her name out of the running. Plus...
0: Why do we need to repeal House Bill 6? Because it was adopted under a cloud of corruption, bribery and racketeering.
6: The next steps in repealing the bill at the center of one of Ohio's biggest public corruption scandals in history. We do thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning for Face the State. I'm Tracy Townsend. It's back to square one in the search for a new director of the state's health department. Governor Mike DeWine announced that Dr. Joan Duvey would be the new director of the Ohio Department of Health. As an Ohio native and a graduate of The Ohio State University, DeWine thought she was a great fit. But hours after he made the announcement, she withdrew her name from consideration. The governor tweeted that she cited personal reasons. Governor DeWine will now continue the search for a new full-time health director. Now, you will remember the former health director, Dr. Amy Acton, stepped down in June. She also cited personal reasons and she wanted to spend more time with her family. Acton received praise and some pushback for her response to the COVID-19 pandemic. She then became the chief health advisor but stepped down from that role last month. Governor Mike DeWine had to clear the air about a controversial health order. He wanted Ohioans to know he is not taking their children if, in fact, the parents are diagnosed with COVID-19. The governor said he needed to address what he calls an Internet rumor because of all of the emails he's getting about it. 10TV's Kevin Landers explains
1: how this got started. Governor Mike DeWine went as far as calling the rumor of Ohio setting up COVID-19-like concentration camps as absolutely ridiculous. It all started when the governor extended this health order that was originally signed in March and came from President Donald Trump. The order says, quote, shelters shall be used for those who are unable to safely quarantine in their place of residence. The governor said the order was intended to provide housing for those who felt they couldn't quarantine at home safely because of an elderly family member or a natural disaster prevented them from living in their home. The order allows for people to get housing in a hotel paid for by the federal government. Those who read it believed it was the creation of some kind of concentration camp for those infected by COVID.
8: This order does not create FEMA camps uh, to force anyone to quarantine against their will, as has been reported on the Internet.
1: The governor said the order became so misinterpreted that he felt compelled to squash it because of the emails he was getting
8: about it. I am aware there are rumors on the Internet uh, that incorrectly claim these orders allow children to be separated from their parents, without permission. Let me just say, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, It is not true. There is no intention that anyone has to separate children.
1: Senate President Larry Obhoff also denounced the claim, saying, quote, there are absolutely no concentration camps in Ohio. To suggest otherwise is fear-mongering at its worst. This is one of the most patently offensive claims I've ever seen and any public official who spreads this rumor is unfit for the office he holds. Governor Mike DeWine went on to say these rumors are garbage and called it sad that some people continue to spread this misinformation online, including a state lawmaker who continues to have it posted on his Facebook page. Reporting from the State House, Kevin Landers, 10TV News.
6: Now let's get to an update in the case against former Speaker of the House, Larry Householder. It could take months to finish gathering all of the potential evidence in the criminal case against him and his co defendants. During a court hearing, prosecutors and defense attorneys agreed the case is complex and that attorneys will need some time to review all of the materials. Householder and four other men are accused of taking part in a $60 million bribery scheme related to House Bill 6. Householder recently told 10TV he's innocent. No trial date has been set. Another hearing date was set for October 30th. Four state lawmakers introduced bills aimed at repealing House Bill 6 and the bill that they call tainted. Chief investigative reporter Bennett Haberlees breaks down their sales pitch to their colleagues. The biggest corruption scandal in Ohio history.
9: Representative Laura Lanise says House Bill 6 is tainted. The bill that provided a billion-dollar bailout to First Energy and its affiliates and saved two nuclear power plants from closing is also front and center in a public corruption scandal that the FBI alleges lined the pockets of former Ohio House Speaker Larry Householder and four other men.
2: The suggestion is that we shouldn't throw out the baby, i.e. the good policy, out with the bathwater, i.e. the corruption. I would counter that what we have now is not bathwater, but it's mud.
9: Lenice was referring to other lawmakers who have expressed concern that House Bill 6 has some merits and that a full repeal would be a bad idea.
5: Why do we want to repeal that for the purpose of just bringing, uh, you know, to, to
9: get rid of bad policy? Again, fix the policy. Other lawmakers sponsoring legislation
0: also stepped in. Why do we need to repeal House Bill 6? Because it was adopted under a cloud of corruption, bribery, and racketeering. Representative
9: David Greenspan took it further, questioning if First Energy really needed the bailout at all, pointing to the company's earnings and its buying back of its stock. New information has come to light that, to me, underlies the key pivotal point that this was a job, a job
5: a saving jobs and saving economies. You need to uh, repeal House Bill 6
0: completely to restore the confidence of Ohioans. We know that House Bill 6 was adopted because of corruption. The only way it got adopted was because of corruption.
9: Householders spoke out against repealing House Bill 6 last week. I'm
3: innocent. I'm going to plead not guilty, and we're going to we're going to. De- defend ourselves uh, vigorously and uh, as far as House Bill 6 is concerned it's good legislation.
10: We now know according to the allegations in the affidavit that this was probably a
6: very tainted process so knowing that I think we need to start fresh.
9: Bennett Haberly, 10TV News.
6: Now, there was a move by Democrats to fast-track the bill, but that measure failed. The murder suspect was taken into custody at a state lawmaker's house. Columbus police arrested 24-year-old Cameron Bowen at Representative Kristen Boggs' home. We're told Bowen was staying with Boggs' nanny in an apartment above the garage. The nanny, 21-year-old Iris Green, was also arrested for obstructing official business. In a statement, Boggs says she was shocked and shaken by the situation. Next time you go to the barber, you might get more than just a couple of inches off the top. Here are the new role barbers are taking on during this election season. Plus, Ohio Secretary of State responding to the issue of people trying to vote twice. His strong words of warning.
0: Columbus Perspective is a public affairs presentation of WBNS Radio. The opinions expressed on this program are those of its guests and do not necessarily reflect those of WBNS Radio, its staff, management, or sponsors.
7: 911,
3: what is your emergency? My kid
11: shot himself. All right, where's the wound? 911, what's your emergency? Please help I, my son shot his brother. Okay.
4: Every day, eight kids and teens are unintentionally killed or injured by loaded and unlocked guns. Learn how to make your home safer at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and End Family Fire.
0: You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project. So, before you do this or this, Make sure you do this. For digging projects, big or small, make the call to eight one one.
4: We are advocates. We are defenders. We are the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, dedicated to the conservation of Earth's precious wildlife: sea turtles, African penguins,
8: and countless endangered species. See for yourself at aza.org/slash join us. I get it. Your desk has been there for you, holding up your computer, your unused stapler, and that plant you forgot to water. But maybe it's time to leave your desk and spend your lunch break volunteering with Meals on Wheels. Doing Meals on Wheels for me is the joy that I look for at the end of my week. I'll come to the door with one meal and I'll walk away with a full heart. Drop off a warm meal and get more than you expect. Volunteer at americaletsdolunch.org. That's americaletsdolunch.org. Brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council.
0: Still to come on Columbus Perspective, segments about obesity, prostate cancer, And U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown talking about voting in the upcoming November election. Now back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
6: 10TV wants to make sure your vote counts come November. There are several October deadlines you really need to keep in mind. October 5th is the last day you can register to vote in the November election. The next day, early in person voting starts, as well as absentee voting by mail. If you are going to vote by mail, you need to get your application for an absentee ballot to your local Board of Elections office by October 31st. But Secretary of State Frank LaRose is encouraging people to submit those request forms much earlier. To get this information sent straight to your phone, just text the word VOTE to 614-460-3345. A big milestone for Ohio's election. Secretary of State Frank LaRose said over one million Ohioans have already submitted an absentee ballot request form. All right, here's some context for you. In 2016, the state did not reach that threshold until 28 days before the election. We are now about 50 days from Election Day. The Secretary of State also took the time to talk about voting security. At a news conference, LaRose talked about the precautions that have been in place for close to 20 years. The Secretary of State says election night this year isn't going to look the same and that we need to be prepared for a change.
9: This year they may be a little bit more unofficial than usual because we know that we're going to see a record number of absentee ballots. And those absentee ballots, as long as they're legally cast and postmarked by November 2nd, can continue to be received at the Board of Elections up to 10 days later. And that's not a sign of something nefarious happening. In fact, quite the contrary. It's the sign that the system is working the way it's supposed to. When we say that every-
6: LaRose also warned voters not to try and vote absentee and in person. He said, quote, don't test our Board of Elections. They're good at this. Again, a quote from Secretary of State Frank LaRose. Meantime, barbers across Ohio are joining the effort to get every Ohioan registered to vote. It's part of a new initiative where barbershops and beauty salons help get people registered to vote, help them get their absentee ballot requests in, and even sign people up to be poll workers. We talked with Al Edmondson, who owns A Cut Above the Rest in Columbus. Edmondson is very excited about this program.
7: We have a lot of people who are probably laid off right now, and we have a lot of kids that are home from college doing virtual. And I think it's a great idea to engage the community, especially the African-American community, um, Where he launched it off at and so i think it's so important during this election that we have enough poll workers and we as barbers that we should be able to connect and help with this initiative
6: franklin county alone still needs thousands of people to sign up in order to have enough workers at the polls on election day if you'd like to help you can sign up online text the word vote to 614-460-3345 and then you'll get a link sent straight to your phone. Republicans gathered to oppose the president at a news conference outside of the Statehouse.
1: Over the past four years, I have witnessed the degradation of the Republican Party and the United States at the hands of President Donald J. Trump. His vile and despicable language that he uses on a regular basis in relation to women, those we call mothers, sisters, daughters, and leaders, in relation to minorities, those who have struggled under the hand of oppression for countless years by no
6: fault of their own. The group called Operation Grant met to announce their support of Democratic candidate Joe Biden. The group says it's prepared to put all of their resources into helping Biden win Ohio, and they plan to reach out to voters of both parties to get behind the former vice president. But earlier, the governor of South Dakota took part in a Women for Trump MAGA meetup in Westerville.
4: We need all
8: of you to be a part of Trump's army.
6: Our Rasmussen poll released last week shows Biden up about 4% here in Ohio. President Trump and his Democratic challenger, Joe Biden, will debate for the first time head to head in Cleveland later this month. It's Tuesday, September 29th at Case Western Reserve University. 10 TV will be there. So you should look for live team coverage before and after the debate. Still ahead, members of the 10TV team of medical experts weigh in on the role politics is playing in the push for a COVID-19
5: vaccine.
0: Veterans Michelle Scott, Carl Blake, and Jesse Graham.
5: I was an unemployed veteran. After injury, I felt scared, worried, concerned. I just remember sitting there trying to move my legs. First person I saw after my wife was a... Paralyzed Veterans of America member. They
9: gave me the outlet to find a career now. They focus on the accessibility for our lives. They helped me get to a point where I'm at now, where I can have a job, have a family, and live life the way I want to live life. To learn more, visit PVA.org.
1: A public service from Paralyzed Veterans of America.
11: You are not your diagnosis.
5: A medical chart is not your identity.
11: And vision loss does
2: not define you your drive shows who you are and you are not alone because we are driven too to be a beacon of strength a champion of courage
5: an advocate for hope
11: you are not alone
2: because we are stronger together we drive the research for the cures we are finding
5: we're fighting macular degeneration
11: retinitis pigmentosa Usher
2: syndrome. And the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases.
4: We fund. We fight. We, we win. win. We. We. We, we are, are the, the foundation, foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are Fighting Blindness.
9: Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Back to Tracy Townsend, courtesy of 10TV.
6: The gun violence continues in Columbus, and once again, the mayor and the police chief are asking everyone to help stop the violence. 10TV's Angela Rygard looks at what city leaders and a local mother say must be done before another life is lost. I did everything I could as a parent to make sure that my son wasn't a threat to others. And he was still taken from me.
11: Kandra Brown's 18-year-old son, Brendan, had his whole life ahead of him.
6: He just graduated from high school, worked at Cheryl's Cookies, and just bought his first truck.
11: And then this happened. A car crash and shooting last November killed Brendan. His mom says he was just helping out a friend.
6: Five young men are living their life while my son is in the ground. And this case is still unsolved.
11: Keandra isn't alone. She's one of many Columbus mothers who've lost a child to gun violence, and that's why we're here.
8: The problem of violence belongs to all of us.
11: Mayor Andrew Ginther and Police Chief Thomas Quinlan once again addressed the community, saying the violence we're seeing right now is different.
5: Teens are taking risks and actions that we had not encountered before.
11: The city launched programs in August in an attempt to slow down this alarming trend of teens taking lives. Everything from identifying at-risk youth, holding community members accountable for reporting violence, and expanding technology that alerts police to gunshots.
8: Our approach is to work on prevention and intervention
5: together.
11: But leaders insist these programs are not enough, saying people have to do their part, too. Speak up if someone has a gun who shouldn't. Submit tips, even anonymously, if you know something about a crime. Keandra says this won't bring back her son, but it may save other mothers from feeling her pain.
6: No, no parent should have to bury their child.
11: Reporting in Columbus, Angela Rygard, 10TV News.
6: To submit a tip, just call Columbus Police at 614-645-4730. Or you can call Central Ohio Crime Stoppers at 614-461-TIPS. This issue is becoming political. Both Republicans and Democrats have claimed that the most violent areas of the country are run by their opponents. So we've had our Verify team breaking down these viral claims. Here's Jason Puckett.
5: For months now, we've seen warring social media claims blaming both political parties for crime rates in their communities. One is anti-Democrat claiming to show a list of America's deadliest cities, all of which have a quote, Democrat majority. The other is anti-Republican, showing the 10 states with the highest crime rate and saying that seven out of the 10 are Republican run. Now, both posts claim their data comes from the FBI uniform crime report. When we went to check their numbers, we found these multiple disclaimers by the FBI explaining why these kinds of rankings are misleading and shouldn't be used for comparisons, adding that they quote, lead to simplistic and or incomplete analyses that often create misleading perceptions. Basically the same data can be used in different ways. For instance, this post blames the crime rate in Birmingham, Alabama on Democrats, but then this post blames the same numbers on Republicans. We're calling these posts misleading. While they may use real data, they purposefully select numbers to make a political point. And there's no evidence that the crime in a region is linked to the political party that's running With your Verify, I'm Jason Puckett.
6: The feds announced a major crackdown on meth making its way here to the U.S. It was a nationwide effort called Operation Crystal Shield, and it kicked off back in February. The operation generated more than 750 investigations and led to more than 1,800 arrests and the seizure of nearly 29,000 pounds of meth, along with more than $43 million in drug profits and 284 firearms. The target, Mexican cartels that operate major meth transportation hubs throughout the country. Our local officials say they are seeing more meth right here in our area. We've already matched
8: the seizure statistics of last year, and that's even with COVID. So I think,
7: had COVID not happened, we would have seen a major, major explosion in methamphetamines.
6: The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center tells me researchers there are waiting for further direction from AstraZeneca. That's the company behind that vaccine trial that was put on pause after a volunteer got an unexplained illness. Ohio State is part of this multi-center effort in the United States, but had not yet started the actual trial. So it might sound like bad news, but... Some medical experts say the system is actually working as it's
1: supposed to. It's
4: really one of the safety valves that you have
1: on clinical trials such as this. So it's unfortunate that it happened. Hopefully they'll work it out and be able to proceed.
6: Developers of a German-American vaccine say theirs could be ready for approval next month. Dr. Fauci says that might be too optimistic. Vaccine development is a hot topic in presidential politics with President Donald Trump saying there could be a vaccine by November and his Democratic opponent, former Vice President Joe Biden, expressing skepticism that Trump would listen to the scientists and implement a transparent process. We turn to our 10 TV team of experts, their infectious disease scientists, for their take on the politics of a COVID-19 cure.
9: I think it's very difficult for all of us to make sense of the COVID-19 vaccine. Because we've never seen a vaccine come out this quickly in the past. We're relying on certain markers in the bloodstream as to whether the vaccine will produce antibody and then we're making an assumption that antibody production will be equivalent to preventing disease. And we know that's true for some infections, but we don't know necessarily it's true for this infection.
8: Well, first of all, I, I want to say we need to trust the science with vaccines and we let the, have to let the process uh, play out. What we are doing is pretty much historic in the setting of getting a vaccine out that quickly. If you look at two common vaccines that people are familiar with, for example, the chickenpox vaccine took over 30 years to come to market and get FDA approval. And the vaccine for HPV or human papillomavirus took over 15 years to come to market before it got FDA approval. So what we are doing with the COVID-19 vaccine truly is historic. We have to put all of our confidence in the vaccine and all of the trials that we're doing, phase one, phase two, phase three, and then once the vaccine gets out, post-marketing surveillance of the vaccines. We have to have people trust the vaccine. We have to have people have the utmost confidence in the vaccine. And unfortunately, Tracy, sometimes science cannot be rushed. We have to do the studies in a very methodical way where we have to ensure the safety and efficacy of the vaccine.
6: Certainly lots more to come. We do thank you for joining us here today. Remember, if it affects you, your family in Ohio, we're here to make sure those accountable face the state.
0: That's again Tracy Townsend, courtesy of our sister station, WBNS 10 TV, from her Sunday morning public affairs program, Face the State. A new edition can be seen this morning at 1130 on 10 TV. (laughs) This is Columbus Perspective on The Fan. This is Dave James. Coming up on Columbus Perspective, we'll have a discussion about prostate cancer. And U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown checks in with his advice about voting during the pandemic in the upcoming November election. Now joining me on the phone, Rhea Farberman, who is Director of Communications at Trust for America's Health. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for talking to us. Tell us what Trust for America's Health is.
10: Yeah, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. We're located in Washington, D.C., and our mission is to support research and public policy that will lead to optimal health for every person in every community.
0: Okay, and you're out with, uh, I believe it's an annual report about obesity in America.
10: That's correct. We do this report every year, and it's a snapshot of obesity rates across the country. We look at the data and report on obesity trends by state, by race, by ethnicity, age, and gender.
0: How do you track this statistic? How do you find the numbers?
10: Um, These are federal statistics and national statistics, both uh, CDC statistics, um, and they are released annually, and we look at them and do some further analysis and put together this report.
0: And you're finding that the obesity rate is continuing to go up, correct?
10: That's correct. Both at the national level and at the state level and on a number of breakdowns for race and age and ethnicity, obesity rates just continue to climb. And that's a serious problem for a couple of reasons. First of all, obesity is associated with particular health risks including diabetes and heart disease um, and obesity also increases our health care spending and it's particularly concerning this year because we have strong data that shows an association between being obese having obesity and the most serious impacts from COVID-19 if you were infected by the virus including having to be hospitalized and even death
0: And uh, the rate that we're talking about is, I guess it's better than 40% of adults in the U.S. are obese? That's correct.
10: For the first time, we've passed that 40% mark, so 42% of U.S. adults are obese. That translates into 4 in 10 Americans having obesity. That's the national number. At the state level in Ohio, 34.8%, just just under 35% of your state residents have obesity. That's up last year just a little bit last year you were at 34 percent this year you're at 34.8 percent
0: I noticed in looking at the stats that we actually are lower than all of our neighboring states except uh, for Pennsylvania which kind of surprised me I was kind of expecting I don't know why I was kind of expecting Michigan to be better off but but they're all pretty close anyway
10: yeah, you know, we have a lot of states that are grouped in the the mid to high thirties range, um, and you know even if you're you're not. The highest of the highest state in the nation in terms of obesity is, is Mississippi at, at over 40%. The lowest is Colorado at under 25%. But even a state like Colorado that has the best obesity rate in the nation, they still have almost one in four adults who have obesity. So this is a serious problem. The rates just keep going up and up. There's been a 26% increase in adult obesity at the national level in the last decade. So it's something we really need to pay attention to.
0: Talking with Rhea Farberman, she's the Director of Communications at Trust for America's Health. Is it closely tied to poverty rates? Is that one of the drivers of this?
10: Yes. Poverty is certainly associated with obesity. Food insecurity is associated with obesity. And really, food insecurity and obesity have similar roots. Um, Both of those conditions are related to Uh, Having a diet that is high in uh, high-calorie food, it's high in easily accessible food for people who have to really stretch their food budget, but those foods, they might be convenient, they're often less expensive, but they're also lower in nutrient value and higher in calories, and that leads to overweight and obesity.
0: Now, I'm not a doctor, and I've never even played one on the radio, but... uh, I remember a few years ago, there was a lot of talk about how George Clooney was obese, having a body mass index of 30 or higher. So we're not necessarily talking about people that are, you know, unable to sit in an airplane seat or something like that. It can be people that perhaps you wouldn't necessarily associate with being, you know, like couch potatoes or something.
10: Well, you know, every, every person is different, and I think we have, to, we have to be focused on serious levels of overweight and serious levels of obesity. Um, you know, most, many, many, many Americans would be perfectly happy to have George Clooney's physique. So we're really talking about people who have a lot of added weight, and it becomes a health issue, not just an issue about how they look or the how their clothing fits, but it can become a, a really serious health issue.
0: And the pandemic, which you mentioned earlier, that causes concern on a number of areas, I would think, because in addition to maybe putting people at greater risk for the virus, people are working at home now where it's a lot easier to pack on the pounds.
10: Right. Um, So what people have to do is pay attention to what they're eating, make sure they get some physical activity. But we also need to be concerned about food insecurity. Um, The COVID crisis has led to a lot of unemployment, unfortunately. People are struggling to put food on the table. And again, food insecurity is associated with having to stretch those food dollars by buying the, the less expensive food, which is lower in nutritional value, often higher in calories. So we're very concerned that the number of American families who are experiencing food insecurity now will lead to overweight and obesity uh, down the road.
0: What are some of the recommendations, policy recommendations that you're making?
10: Well, it's important to remember that obesity is a complex issue, and it's, it's more than just individuals making good decisions about what they eat and making sure that they get some physical activity. Those two things are critically important, but it's more than that. It's really about all the conditions in a person's life, uh, in their community. Um, are they able to make the healthy food choice? Are they able to be physically active? So, what we need to do is, is extend our federal nutrition support programs like WIC and SNAP to make sure that they are sufficient to allow a family to eat a healthy diet. Uh, we need to make think about the built environment in our communities. Does it encourage walking? Are there sidewalks? Are there walking paths? Are there parks and recreation centers? We also need to look at the school day. It's interesting to note that most kids consume about half, some as many as two thirds of their calories at school. So that's an opportunity. Let's make sure that those, healthy, those school meals are healthy meals. Also, during the pandemic, when so many kids are learning from home, students that rely on school meals for their, certainly their morning and their midday meal, we need to make sure that those, those students are still have access to those meals.
0: Yeah, it's so complicated. It seems like, uh, you know, 10 years from now, when we look back on any number of statistics, we're going to see some interesting spikes that happened this year because of the pandemic, good and bad.
10: Yeah, I, I think we will see a, a jump in um, a decrease in our over, overall uh, life expectancy, which is very sad, and we may well see an increase in obesity rates. Uh, and you know, one way to look at this is we spend. Very little money, about $0.31 per American on obesity prevention programs. Weigh that against the the amount of money we spend in health care in this country, which is billions of dollars. We need to reverse that proportion. We need to spend more money on prevention, and that will allow us to save money on health care spending.
0: Talking with Rhea Farberman, she is Director of Communications at the Trust for America's Health. If folks want to see this report online, can they find it?
10: Absolutely. They can visit our website. It's right on the homepage of our website, which is tifa.org, tfa Trust for America's Health, tfa
0: Okay. Rhea, thanks so much for your time
4: today. Thank you. In times of fear, World Vision has been there for the most vulnerable. For the last 70 years, we've stood with kids and families during some of the world's hardest times through natural disasters, war, and disease, delivering life-saving aid and support, helping rebuild lives, and empowering entire communities to lift themselves out of poverty. And we're doing the same today because rising to these challenges is in our DNA. And with every act of courage, faith, and love, at home and abroad, We do more than just stop the spread of fear. We replace it with hope. Learn more at worldvision.org.
8: Have you ever experienced a wish come true? For a child battling a critical illness, a wish come true can be a turning point. One song, one dance, one game, one adventure, one moment changes everything. Make-A-Wish needs your support to grant the wish of every eligible child. Visit wish.org now to help grant more life-changing wishes. Together, we can transform lives one wish at a time.
4: If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music.
8: Ah, this is mommy's jam. (laughs)
1: That surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat.
8: Let's play it again.
0: Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. Hi, this is Dave James, and joining me on the phone is Dr. Sanford, or Sandy Siegel. He is a board member of the Urology Care Foundation. How are you? I'm
5: fine, thank you. Good morning, Dave.
0: Thanks for talking to us. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, September being Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, which for such a, a, a serious form of cancer and such a common one sometimes seems to be under the radar.
3: Well, yes, because
7: men, men like to deny their issues related to health, and this is prostate and prostate disease and prostate cancer is a perfect example of men denying their, uh, what's important to themselves and their family.
0: What is prostate cancer and what is the prostate?
7: It sits between the bladder and the urethra, so the urine when you when you make urine, it passes through the prostate. It provides the the fluid uh, for ejaculation, and it um, and but it certainly plays a, a major role in the numbers of pro- of cancer uh, that we have in this country, which is almost close to two million men and women and children will be diagnosed with with cancer this year. Prostate cancer uh, occurs in uh, over. Almost 200,000 men will be diagnosed with this, with this disease. Uh, if you're African-American, you have a, a far greater chance of getting prostate cancer and dying from prostate cancer. And about 28,000 men will die from prostate cancer this year alone.
0: And from what I've read and heard about it, sometimes it can be real aggressive and deadly, and other times uh, men often live with it for maybe decades.
7: Well, that's, that is true, and I'm an example of that. I, I'm a urologist. I've taken care of thousands of men with prostate cancer in my, my career as a urologist, and uh, and I was diagnosed with prostate cancer and an aggressive form of prostate cancer. There is There are many men that are diagnosed with the cancer already spread across their body. That is much more unlikely today than it was 30 years ago as we have uh, – really taken to early early detection with the PSA, but you're right, uh, men can get a, a more um, slow-growing form of prostate cancer. That's the more common type, but there are men like myself who, who, even though I got a PSA every year and had a biopsy that was negative three years before, I too developed a more aggressive form of prostate cancer.
0: Wow, and did you have any symptoms,
7: no, I did not. You usually do not have any symptoms of prostate cancer until it's already spread uh, to your body. Prostate cancer uh, spreads first to the uh, lymph nodes and to the bone. Uh, so usually somebody will present with bone pain or uh, a, dip, a pain in the rib or a fracture. Uh, sometimes they can present that way and that's how they're diagnosed. Or they get, a, get an x-ray for something else and they see something in the bones and that's their prostate cancer.
0: Huh. And when there are symptoms of prostate cancer in the prostate, what are the symptoms of that?
7: Well, there really are no symptoms of prostate cancer in the prostate. You have symptoms of, uh, that you would get from an enlarged prostate, but they're usually not related to prostate cancer. If, if, it's, if you have symptoms of slow stream and getting up at night and frequency and you're found to have an elevated PSA, those symptoms are generally unrelated to the cancer itself.
0: Talking with Dr. Sandy Siegel, he is a member of the uh, Board of Urology Care Foundation. There's controversy though about testing, about whether it should be done or not, or who should get it.
7: Well, there really is no controversy with urologists. We we know that 30 years ago, uh, men, men were diagnosed with prostate cancer at a much greater rate. Men died, I'm sorry, Let me let me put it this way. Men died at a much greater rate from prostate cancer 20, 30 years ago before PSA was, was started in the early 1990s and uh, 40,000 plus men used to die a year of prostate cancer. And I can't explain the decrease in the death rate any, uh, any more clearly than with the advent of PSA when the death rate fell from 40,000 to less than 30,000 men dying a year of prostate cancer. And it's because of early detection. If this cancer is found early, it, it is curable. Now, as we said before, men are dying of prostate cancer, but that's because there are different forms of the cancer, more aggressive forms of it, and men still aren't getting screened as, as early as they should, nor as frequently as they should.
0: For a man who has been diagnosed, there's some uh, difficult decisions to be made as far as how to treat it because of the sexual impact it may have, Correct.
7: Well, I think that there's there's multiple ways to treat prostate cancer and no one therapy has proven to be far better than the other. Uh, I, for example, for my prostate cancer, I was treated with what's called a seed implantation. There are radioactive seeds that are implanted in the prostate as well as uh, external beam radiation and two years of hormonal ablation. I felt after looking at the data, that was the best choice for me. But obviously many men go undergo radical prostatectomy, which is the surgical removal of the prostate, um, they choose that method. Uh, many times it's a discussion with, with the, the, general, the man who has prostate cancer involving his family and obviously the doctor uh, and they make a decision. Some people just don't want to live with the thought of having the cancer in them. And so if they do remove it and, and the robotic prostatectomy or the removal of the prostate has shown to have great survivals, 10, 15, 20 plus year survivals and cures.
0: This PSA test that you mentioned, uh, what does that entail?
7: Just a simple blood test, just like you would get your uh, your uh, potassium checked or anything like that. Um, uh, it is just a one simple blood test. It, you get it back in a day or two, and uh, it it gives you a lot of information. Yes, there are false false positives and false negatives to this test. That's why getting the test and having a discussion with the physician, what is the right course of action for you, if the PSA is elevated, whether you actually even need a biopsy of the prostate, because there are risks of getting a a biopsy done. So again, it's getting the test, being with the right physician who can tell you what that test result means, and then dealing with it from there.
0: And who is it that you recommend get uh, the test?
7: Well, if you're African American and you have a family history, uh, because African Americans do get this, get, do get prostate cancer at a greater rate, and sometimes a more, a more aggressive form can be uh, seen in the African American population. But if you're African American and you have a family history, you should start at 40. If you're Caucasian, you can start between 45 and 50. I personally feel that it's a simple blood test, so why not get it when, uh, when you just start to feel you need to do it? Um, I don't see anything wrong with getting it um, getting it at, uh, in your 40s just as a baseline, and then if it's real very low, you can get it again in three years or five years. But once you start get to 50, you should have the PSA every year.
0: Do you have a concern that because of the pandemic we may see uh, a lag in numbers followed by a spike because fewer people are getting out to the doctor and such?
7: Well, it's very interesting you ask that question. When the task force came out with a recommendation that we didn't really need PSA, we saw a significant increase in the number of patients who presented with more aggressive disease later on in the course of the the disease. So I I really, you can correlate that with with men being, uh, or anybody being uh, fearful going to the doctor's. But I know at at Chesapeake Urology, uh, we are doing everything to prevent any uh, opportunity for this disease to get to our patients. Uh, Patients generally do not just walk into a doctor's office anymore. They they, They come in their car. They call upstairs. We tell them when it's time to come up, when the waiting room is empty that they can come up. So the doctor's office should be a very safe place for for people to go and get their health care. I say, look, diabetes, hypertension, cancer does not does not pause because of the the pandemic. So you still have to protect yourself from all the other things you have to protect yourself from from the covid. But you also have to protect yourself and make sure that you're being taken care of for all the medical uh, uh, maladies you may have or yet.
0: Dr. Sandy Siegel joining us, a board member of the Urology Care Foundation. Uh, you have a website to recommend or anything else you'd like to add?
7: Yes, it's um, urologyhealth.org. Health, Urology, Urology is with a U. So it's urologyhealth.org forward slash TC Info Center.
0: Okay, great. Dr. Sandy Siegel joining us. Thanks so much for the information today.
7: Oh, you're welcome, Dave. I hope uh, I hope your listeners will will take heed, and uh, especially the men in the house, take uh, take that information and go get your PSA and save yourself, save your family, and help the community.
4: Pass it on. Now's the
9: time to stay apart, social distancing. But I'm adding something else. Pull together. What's pulling together while we're staying apart? It's calling family to check in on them. It's waving to your neighbor. It's the things we should have been doing all along, and when this tragedy passes and we're able to come together, we'll be stronger than ever because we've already pulled together. Stay apart, pull together.
11: Pass it on.
9: From (laughs) passiton.com.
0: This is Columbus Perspective on the Fan. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown served as Ohio's Secretary of State from 1983 to 91. So we thought we would check in with him to find out what his thoughts are about voting during the pandemic. Also about the shortage of workers at the polls. Here's about two and a half minutes with Senator Brown.
3: These are generally not particularly partisan efforts on to... um to recruit more poll workers, I think that we should be looking at high schools and colleges for poll workers. Um, they're they're you know they're not trained yet, but it's a basically a half a day of training for poll workers. It's a it's a skilled job in many ways. Um, but poll workers, we know, are generally um, they're generally my age, closer than they are to to um, twenty year olds, to college and high school students, and. Um, I, it's been, I I don't blame poll workers for not stepping up this year. I mean it's never a lot of pay. It's 100 bucks I think for the day. It's a long day. It's it's work. And this year I don't blame people who are older especially for not wanting to expose themselves to the virus. So um, it's it's fixable by by an aggressive act by aggressive well, aggressively trying to recruit young young people. Um, in terms of um, voting, uh, I, I encourage people to vote by mail. The post office will handle it and handle it well. Or I encourage people to vote I vote by mail as absentee vote by mail. Same thing. The president said it's not fair. It's not um, safe. Safe for the, for the county to vote, he's absolutely wrong. There's no evidence of that. Secretaries of state of both parties in Ohio and elsewhere have run run major mail-in absentee ballot applications. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, voting in the past, millions and millions of voters, the post office can handle, the post office handles 400 million pieces of mail a day. Per day, the most we'd have absentee voting is like 150 million for the whole election. So clearly, they can handle it. But I would encourage then that the other the voting you could vote in person starting October sixth at boards of elections or at voting centers like in Columbus, um, different around the state, different places. So mm-hmm. Usually, the board of elections. But I encourage people to vote early. Either by mail or in-person voting and early voting starting October 6th. Uh, send in for your application now for absentee. They will mail the ballots out October 6th, 7th, 8, something like that. Um, I'm voting, my wife and I have already sent ours in. And if people haven't gotten their ballot by about October 10th or 11th, call the Board of Elections and find out. But um, I encourage people to vote early, it's safer. Uh, especially if you want to vote by mail or vote absentee. I, I, I hope there aren't long lines on Election Day where people are more likely to get exposed.
0: This has been Columbus Perspective, a weekly public affairs presentation of The Fan, heard each Sunday morning at 6 on WBNS-AM, that's 1460 ESPN Columbus, and Sunday morning at 7 on WBNS-FM. Sports Radio 97.1 The Fan. <laughs> Join us again next Sunday for Columbus Perspective.